Hello, this is Michelle Weston for Wellness Learning Curves 2.0 on Radio 360 for Women, empowering women with information and knowledge. When I fell into the integrative world of healthcare, I was attracted to patient advocacy first and then health and wellness coaching. Now, advocating for yourself or a loved one is key for addressing chronic conditions. And you need an ally, a person, your person. In health and wellness coaching, what I love is the partnership between a client and a coach. No, I'm not a therapist. No, I'm not a psychologist. No, I'm not a psychiatrist. I have someone on today, though, who is a social worker with a fabulous, fabulous business in near Baltimore, Maryland, which is one of my favorite cities. And Dawn and I got hooked up through another organization. It's important to network because we collect people and information, and information is only as good as the pass along. So Dawn O'Mealy is an MSW, LCSW, and she is a CP.A, which are lots of titles, but she's also the owner of the Counseling Center for Change. She opened the Counseling Center for Change in 2013, and Dawn has been a licensed clinical social worker since 1988, and she has worked in private practice since 1995. Now, when she opened the Counseling Center, their mission was to strive to give patients a confidential and comforting environment, provides real change, supports light and hope to those who are experiencing mental health problems, despair, darkness, guilt, or shame. In fact, she went after one of the most challenging chronic conditions we have out there today, and that is obesity. And she even narrowed down to help those who have bariatric surgery. And as I've said before, bariatric surgery should be the last frontier. But I'll tell you, a lot of people come to that place and they say, I really need a tool. I need help. And I need my body to adjust, to really shift and change a bit. So they see a bariatric surgeon. And as me with, with one of a vertical sleeve for 14 years, I can tell you it's a great tool for many, but not for all. She works on ADHD. She works on weight loss. She deals with parenting. And she's one of my favorite new people. Prior to going into private practice, she worked for Waystation and then went on to work for Shepherd Pratt as a program director for mobile treatment and geriatric services team. And after leaving Shepherd Pratt, she worked in the emergency department at Carroll Hospital Center and Frederick Memorial Hospital doing psychiatric evaluations. And on the side, when she's not spending an abundance of time seeking, seeing patients and developing group programs, as well as growing the Counseling Center for Change practice, she enjoys her family time with her husband and children and grandchildren. So Dawn is passionate about and committed to ongoing professional development and education. Dawn, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Thanks for that lovely introduction. You know, it speaks to that I've been around for a long time. You know what? And sometimes that's a good thing. She doesn't look at you guys. She looks fabulous. <laughs> and, you know, 
it's good to be here for a long time watching the changes. And she's seen what has happened to changes at Metro Collaborative, where we met, which is a group of networking people in different states across the country. We get together and we collaborate on what's going on in our field, in our practices, and also how we can connect. So that is the connection that you're getting today. So I wanted to have Don on to talk about a chronic condition of obesity and ADHD and how sometimes they keep saying now, we don't just have one chronic condition, we now have multiple chronic conditions. So she's dealing with groups across the country. In fact, she's connected with one of the top people in CBT and CBT is cognitive behavioral therapy which is a favorite of many social workers and psychologists and psychiatrists because it's a stages of change. It's working through your behaviors and noticing things about yourself that you weren't aware and that you're willing and ready to change. Dawn, where should we start with people in regards to CBT and how you got there? Well, I guess a good place to start is when I think about CBT, not only is it the initials mean cognitive behavioral therapy, but I like to think of it as change begins today. I love that. Today, not tomorrow, not next week, but today. And, and as mental health professionals, we are in a unique position to help people, Yeah, you know, achieve their stated goals and help them guide them and support them along that way of making the changes that they so desire, whether it's, you know, with weight loss or improved mood or coping abilities, or, you know, just a sense of wellness. You know, we, we are in a unique position to be able to be that catalyst. And we use evidence-based tools to assist people in their journey. So I'm a big fan of cognitive behavioral therapy. I, and, I really am. and I know that you have groups, groups that not only are in the United States now, but also have gone over the pond into Europe. And you're finding that groups really connect, especially with people going through bariatric surgery. The need to connect is yeah. really important. As humans, we need to connect, but especially like breeds like, and you want to be with others who are experiencing change in the same way, but different than you are. Right. I, I think it's so much better to try to make these changes in community great with other people that are on that same path you know bariatric surgery can be the road less traveled and just because uh, a patient decides that they want to do this and they're going to make all these changes does not mean that their family or their friends are going to understand it or that they're going to make the same kinds of changes you know so i really think the most successful people are those that do this in community through the programs that they have surgery from, support groups, Facebook groups, the CBT groups that we offer. I just think that that promotes the, the best outcome. Yeah. One of my favorite things about meeting you and watching a presentation to Metro Collaborative Networkers and other physicians and practitioners was that you threw up an icon, it's called an infographic, about what lays underneath the iceberg. Yes. And you and I love that because even just looking at it, you start to say, 
what's underneath our robe, what's underneath our clothes that we don't even know sometimes is there. Yeah, and that's so true, Michelle. And, you know, I, I tell patients it's never about the food. <laughs> they think uh, it is, but it's it, not about the food. It, it's not about the food. It's The food is a symptom of underlying issues. And the food becomes a comfort blanket and a security and a way to pacify yourself. And we know better, but that doesn't mean that we don't run back to something familiar right. and use it. But I think the biggest, the hardest thing with people who are overweight is using that and then realizing, oh my God, I just ate more. And now where am I? I'm back three steps. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a challenge. And that's a challenge to live with. And working that out is actually in your head. Absolutely. And that's where CBT can be so helpful to people because it's all about awareness, cultivating awareness and using best practice tools to really challenge that self-defeating thinking and behaving to get the mind to align with the stated goals. And you know, these are not techniques that people are familiar with or what we would expect them to know or even how to use them. So I think teaching and training in the short term can be worth so much to these to these patients. I really do. Do you find that there's a length that people are in groups? I know that a lot are in virtual because of the pandemic, mm-hmm. but do you find that you need a workbook or you need to connect people? How are you making sure that people are focusing together? So cognitive behavioral therapy groups are usually time limited. They're, okay. they're usually psychoeducational in nature, and they have a beginning and an end to those types of meetings where they're intensive in education and tools. And it depends on the program that we're running, which resources we're going to use. So we typically do use workbooks or resources and assign homework. They're very structured. And then we discuss and practice and, you know, the groups are pretty lively, even on Zoom. That's good to hear. It is. And, and it's just incredible, the changes that happen with, with people going through these very empowering, motivational groups. Yeah. And what have you found the correlation? Because, you know, it seems that chronic conditions come in more than one. The hookup to ADHD, ADD, and obesity. Yeah. So what people seem to not keep in mind is that these are chronic conditions. Obesity doesn't go away, even when someone achieves their their weight loss goals. And neither does ADHD. You know, it's really learning how to manage those those areas of your life. And that's where tools can be so important. You know, I'm sure you know that obesity has been deemed as a medical issue. And it's an ongoing issue by the AMA. So that's the American Medical Association yeah. for those of you with our with our shorthand. <laughs> it is a chronic disease and it's been so classified as such, as is ADHD. And so when we do screenings, we do a lot of pre-op psychobals for hospitals in, in Maryland. I think this year we're up to about 700, I think. Wow. Yes, uh, my, myself and my team of six other therapists, we do a lot of these psychobabbles. 
And we have a very rigorous tool that we use. We're very careful. And we're looking at the presence of any um, other mental health issues or addiction issues or behavioral issues. And it's amazing to me in all the time I've been doing this work, which is gosh, in the bariatric field since 2005. Wow. Yes, I've been doing it a long time. It's shocking to me how many people have never been in front of a mental health professional before. Um, why is that a surprise? The, well, you know, it, I can't today I shouldn't say that, but why? Why are you surprised when there's some people sitting there who've just never had a conversation with somebody about their mental health, their mental status? Really, I think it's the stigma and and the fear and the lack of knowledge about what counseling and therapy really is. People have these ideas about it that are, you know, just not reality based. You know, they. They just don't know. You don't know what you don't know. But it does surprise me that people present to us with untreated or undertreated mental health issues, addiction issues. And, you know, we get in there and we process all that with people and talk about why these things need to be addressed prior to surgery and then after surgery. Because and the after surgery is very important, too. It's not just before. But after, I will tell you here in New York, I'm with a hospital and work with people at NYU Medical Center. And what's important is they have a very, very good group of at least like 25, 30 people every Wednesday night here in New York for an hour, three weeks out of every month to connect for the bariatric practice. Because people are going to have surgery. People have had surgery. People are alumni at this point, and it's important to be able to hear what your journey is, right? Absolutely. And the research, Michelle, tells us that the people that are going to be most successful are those that go to the support group meetings, those that stay engaged with their bariatric program. Sadly, a lot of people will drop off after the first year. Oh, interesting. After having bariatric surgery. And we try to track people down and try to engage them. But I think they have this sense of, I got the surgery. I'm done. I'm good to go. I'm done. Please. 14 years later, I'm right. still not done. You're, you're never done. However, you know, there's this mindset. And I think there's a lot of problems with that kind of mindset because the further you get away from your program, the more the risk is that you're going to just relapse back into those lifestyle habits. And then we get people who contact us and say, help me, I've regained my weight or I'm back to my old habits. And I think a prevention kind of approach is way better than after the fact. But people, I think, sometimes need to experience that to really get it. Yeah. And understand, I mean, you know, anybody who is not aware, when you're having bariatric surgery, you have to go through a lot of steps. You have to work with dietitians. You have to like hold your weight. They have to see how you're doing when you gain weight. You know, all of those things get talked through and it goes on for about six months and you must meet with a psychologist, social worker, psychiatrist and be signed off because they don't need crazy, crazy people. Because if you're not clear that you're doing this for your health Mm -hmm. to improve your health and help you get rid of the diabetes A1C numbers that have shot up as you gain weight, see your blood pressure raise, and things like that. Understand, 
they're not going to want to put you on a table and do bariatric surgery because they want you to succeed. You know, right? people who go into this field, they really want to succeed. Why do we have obesity in America? Well, as far as I'm concerned, because we have, a, along with 8 million other people, a lot of processed food. And we're also always in a hurry. So when you look at that and you also think, you know, I don't have time. Well, you have to have time for yourself. And that's where a CBT comes in for you to be able to really think about things. I want to go back for a second to the iceberg because people, I said that. So let's talk about what are some of the symptoms that are under the iceberg? Well, although I know the audience can't hear what I'm about to show on the screen, it's, it's great for talking points. Great. So this is what I had shared during that one meeting that we had, Michelle. Oh, I love this. And, and this came as a result of my doing a, a support group meeting at St. Agnes Hospital in Baltimore. I had this idea. I drew this iceberg on a piece of note paper and went into the support group. And I said, guys, what do you think is really going on below the iceberg? And let me tell you, those people without hesitation just started sharing all of these things that you see listed here. Amazing. Self-esteem and self-worth. It's self-soothing, self-medicating, health issues. I love, and I also love saboteurs. Saboteurs, boredom, lack of power, habits. Addictions. Addictions, lack of education, insecurities, triggers, stress, anxiety, eating too fast, a relationship with food, emotional neglect. And also a defiance mechanism. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, uh, now you said I can't, I am. Right. And think about who wins. So go back to the saboteur. If you use that, who wins? You know, I did that in my teens. Well, in college, I did that. When I got my license, my driver's license at 15 in Michigan, oh, that gave me the right, really, to like go through Burger King and then go to my father's partner's house and sit with his wife and eat Burger King because my mother would have killed me if she saw me eating Burger King at the house. You know, it's crazy. It's, you know, there's also drama. There's also grief. There's also loss. And, And also we... Even simple, like not even understanding what healthy food is. Mm -hmm. Yes, I know it's 2022, but you know what? Sometimes we don't know. We hear simple carbs and complex carbs. Well, all most people hear is carbs. And then they say, I'm never going to eat carbs. No, you need complex carbs in order for your body to run. You need it in order for your protein to be processed. You must have all those areas. You must have fats, you must have carbs, you must have proteins, you must have fruit, vegetables, all those things, dairy. But you're looking for that balance, which a lot of people who are overweight don't have. They're looking for that place that they can rest easier on and not always be in a state of, why am I like this? Well, I'm just going to go like pick up everything at McDonald's or buy a dozen donuts. And they're not lazy. They're not stupid. People aren't. They just sometimes don't know, Dawn, right? Yep. And that's that lack of education about food and the cost and convenience. You know, yep. we, we live in a culture of, I want it now and I want it, you know. Yesterday. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, make it easy. And being a bariatric 
patient is not easy. It, is, it involves a lot of planning and preparation and consistency and discipline. And it's not the road that a lot of people are on, unfortunately, which is why we're seeing, you know, these alarming rates of obesity, even in children. And which is, you know, it makes us sad because, you know, we want people to be healthy. We all do, you You know, and it needs to be about that. It's not that you're going to get the perfect mate. You're not going to get the perfect job or the perfect wardrobe. That is not what bariatrics is about. Even things like now we have Orbera balloons that they can put in for six months Mm -hmm. that take room in your stomach. It feels like bariatrics to a lot of patients and clients that I work with. It's this fullness feeling. Mm-hmm. We're also seeing things where we're, we're tightening the, the esophagus and working to get the system to notice when we need to slow down and exploring those things. Even just, you know, Weight Watchers is a great program. There's nothing wrong with Weight Watchers. It's been around since eons and it's a good foundation. But the other part of it, which they have in groups, but also I feel you need that other layer is that talk with someone else about where you are on your journey. And yeah, and how do you handle, I'm sure you guys out there feel this way, especially as women. Oh, are you on a new diet? What are you doing? Okay, Dawn and I can tell you, you don't have to share if you don't want to share. And I teach people how to sort of go around about that to go to another place. Mm -hmm. When I coach people, it's like, well, somebody says, you know, oh, what are you doing? How much did you lose weight? Change the subject just change the subject. And that may get challenging, but after a while, that person or persons will get the hint that you're not actually answering. It could be as simple as being out, Dawn, and learning that, oh, you want to order a main course, but you know it's too too much food. So why don't you say to the waiter, oh my God, this dish is something my sister was dying to try. Can you do me a favor? Can you pack up half of it? And just bring me the other half and I'll take it home to my sister and I'll just enjoy mine and we can talk about how fabulous it was. That's the way to handle that conversation done with, you don't have it on your plate, yay. Yeah, these conversations can be pretty embarrassing and and invoke a lot of shame in people too. And, you know, the diet industry, it's over a billion dollar industry, but, you know, think about the root word in diet, die. Diets die. And it's a I like that. It's a huge setup for people. It really is because they're not sustainable long term. You can't be on these diets long term. It's just your brain needs variety. We get bored with it. It's just it's crazy. These diets. So what are people looking for to be more, as you just said, sustainable? When we talk about getting together as a group, getting together individually with a mental health worker. What are we looking for there? Well, I I think you're looking for someone who understands the issues that drive the problem, someone that can direct you or assist you in getting the resources you may need. For example, I'm not a trauma therapist. I'm not a trained trauma therapist, but I've seen lots of people wanting bariatric surgery who have significant trauma in their background. So we'll refer people out for those services. Um, if they need that, or going back to ADHD, you know, ADHD is a real challenge for patients that have had bariatric surgery or who are seeking bariatric surgery. 
because the areas of the brain that are affected in the executive functioning center are greatly affected by ADHD. Wow. So the whole experience of prioritizing, planning, poor impulse control, that, that's the ADHD brain. And I've worked with people that have had bariatric surgery with ADHD. I've had them go through a Mastering Your Adult ADHD CBT program that I do, which they find very helpful. You know, we create structure and spreadsheets for people and use timers and different devices. And, you know, all that needs to factor into recommendations to any patient with that issue of seeking bariatric surgery. I think if you don't provide these things that people need, it, it's almost a setup for them that they're going to fail. I really do. If I, I feel so strongly about this. You just can't rubber stamp people through and say, you're good, you're good, you're good. No, and it's important to really take the time to, to, to go through that. And we're seeing more adult ADHD than we have before. People suddenly in their 40s and 50s are being diagnosed with executive functioning challenges. Yeah. It, you know, I'll, I'll never forget. I had this one man that I saw for, he was seeking bariatric surgery. He came in to see me. It was so obvious that he had ADHD. I said, you know, we got to put the brakes on this. You need to go get a medication evaluation because this is not going to work. And he was telling me how it drives his wife crazy at home because he doesn't complete anything and he's all over the place. And he did. Procrastinator. <laughs> Procrastination. Oh, yes. That's a, that's a big uh, issue with ADHD. And perfectionism, too. Let's not forget that one. Yeah. The other side of it. So a lot yeah. of times you'll have both. You know, we've talked about ADHD and ADD with kids for a long time now, since the, what, 60s? Well, it was mm -hmm. really cool because this guy did go get on medication for his really? ADHD. And he called me back. I'll never forget this. He said, this changed my life. Wow. This has completely changed my life, getting this thing identified and treated. Um, he was so happy. <laughs> his wife was really happy. So, you know, we look at a lot of things when we're doing these evals because we know that all this stuff is driving the train and we really need to address it and give people tools and resources and sending them to, you know, people that can help if we can't be the ones to help. And that's what we do. And I think we do it really well. And we're very careful. We don't We'll bring people in for a part two or part three, or we'll require pre-op counseling or different groups that they need before we will clear them. Interesting that you, you really that, set that up. That's how we roll. And I wouldn't have it any other way. I think it's important to look at it that way. I also think, I'm just wondering, we're coming up upon the holidays. Are you working with anything with your groups in regards to being with family, with friends, at tables? or in the office where we know there's going to be chocolates and stuff that's going to be oh, yeah. laying around. Uh, we are definitely talking about it in our groups and getting people to problem solve ahead of time. And, and, you know, I do some groups with a dietitian and she, oh, that's great. Yeah, well, absolutely. She and I do a lot of groups together. And so we're, I'm attacking it from the psych end and she's attacking it from the food end. So we talk about preparing for that situation. And what are all the things that you can do? Lots of tips and strategies on how to deal with the holidays. So yes, we are definitely talking about it so that people can feel in charge. Yes. In charge. And, I agree. And prepared. So yes, we're definitely talking about it. Yeah, because you know what? You can, when you're asked to bring something, think about yourself as well. Choose to make something that would work for you. Yes. Or, 
or if you're asked to make something that's that's decadent, then also make sure that you bring something that would work for you. If it's dessert, bring two desserts. If you think that you need to have a big fruit plate with you and that would help you, then bring it. If you have some simple cookie that you can eat and not eat a ton of, maybe it's biscotti because you know, they're not as sugary, whatever it is, make sure that you take care of you yes. and don't put yourself in that situation. And also that whole ruling of, do you need second helpings? Nobody needs second helpings. If you want to take home something that was really fabulous that you could eat the next day for a lunch, well, then ask the host, you know, just say, I would really love that side dish of those vegetables that was so delicious. If there's any left, can I have a small container of that to take to the office tomorrow? People are flattered. And for you, it's a win-win situation because you've yeah. also asked for you what you need, yes. right? Absolutely. And there's a lot of anticipatory anxiety that goes into the holidays for, for post-op bariatric patients because they know it's going to be a food fest and they know that they're going to be food pushers, right? Grandma's going to be there saying, oh, I made your favorite cookies and <laughs> oh, we're having all of our favorite foods. Gosh. And, um, yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of guilt and pressure and all of that. So one of the things we, we told patients they could try is blame the dietitian. Or Great blame, idea. Blame the doctor. You know, grandma, my blood pressure is out of control. And as much as I want to eat this, I can't because the dietitian and the doctor have told me I've got to really watch this. So if all else fails, <laughs> blame the dietitian. Exactly. You know, and just realize this is your nutrition. This is food that is your nutrition for your body. So, you know, if you know that at that house, it's always about sweet potatoes with a, a slew of marshmallows, really, mm -hmm. really sweet, mm -hmm. and you really love sweet potatoes, you know what? Make one that is different. Look up a recipe that's about sweet potatoes without the sugary stuff and bring that and say, oh, you know what? I just didn't need as much sugar. So I brought this as another side because there's never enough sides, right? I mean, as far as I'm concerned, there's never enough sides. I agree. I agree. And, you know, a lot of recipes can be converted to a bariatric friendly recipe. Yes. That's one of the things a dietitian will help people with. And yeah. Yeah. And so, each surgery is, a, and each surgery is a little different, you know, people yeah. tolerate things differently. You've had a lap band and they, they don't tolerate white chicken breast or turkey breast, they tolerate better a dark meat because it has more fat. No, not bad fat, just enough fat though that it processes as they chew and goes through their esophagus into their stomach. It helps them process it. Right. With, a, with a, somebody with a vertical sleeve, they may have no problem with chicken breasts. And so yeah. you have to look at that. Also, you know, when you're going to some of the Rune NY and the Duodenum switches and things like that that have been done for, for decades, each group reacts a little differently. You have to take the time to learn what your signals are too. And I don't think that just applies to bariatric patients. I also think if we stopped for a second, Dawn, and checked in to see if we were satiated, if we were mindful. Yes. Right? That's I mean, the other modality that is so helpful to weight loss patients, mindfulness, as well as CBT are the two that can be especially impactful and really help people be on track with what they need to be doing. 
yeah. So yeah, mindfulness is a is a great tool. Yeah, and you know, you see more books and so forth on eating mindfully mm-hmm. because it you know it's simple things like when I work with people, we'll go out to a restaurant and. I'll say, you know what, between every bite, when it goes into your mouth, put your fork, your spoon, or your knife down and yep. chew your food and listen to the conversation at the table for a minute because we see you chewing and we don't expect you to talk. And if people do expect you to talk, just give them the, just a sec, you know, take the time to enjoy what you're out for, mm-hmm. you know, because it tastes different when you really stop and go, wow, this is a really good dish I'm having here at this French restaurant and or the Italian restaurant or the Indian restaurant. Take the time and also slowing people down because we've got to have at least 20, 25 chews, Mm -hmm. honestly, to masticate food, to really get it through a bariatric system because you want it to go into and from your esophagus into your stomach and your gut more chewed than most humans stop to do. We pretty much swallow things as we eat. Those are hard for a new system to work with. They want they are. more time. They really are. And this is why we emphasize that the journey to surgery is a time of preparation and practice. And we really want people to be implementing what they're going to be doing after surgery before they go to surgery. So learning how to eat mindfully, not eating and drinking at the same time. Absolutely. That has to stop. Um, Eating protein first, eating every three to four hours. Let's start practicing this now so we can develop these habits. And she says eating every three to four hours, those who are going, but I don't. When you have bariatric surgery, you're eating smaller amounts. Right. Yes. And so for a lot, many meals, for some No, sometimes they actually will eat their biggest meal at lunch and they'll have a coffee in the morning and we eat a smaller meal at dinner. So when you go to sleep, you don't want to go to sleep with a lot of food in your, in your gut. You want to give at least, at least two hours before you lay your head down on a pillow because you don't want to sleep sideways with all this stuff churning inside of you. And those are old habits. And those are habits that we can change. Humans can change those Yeah, and this is where CBT is so helpful because think about it this way. Every food decision, every decision to exercise or not is preceded by a thought. And if your thoughts are helpful, constructive, realistic, that are going to get you to the desired end goal behavior, then we're going to get somewhere. But when we have all this self-defeating, negative self-talk going on, you know, I can't, I don't want to, it's too hard, I'm going to fail again, all this stuff going on, we can't expect people to be successful. It's just not going to happen. So we want people to, to keep in mind that every food decision is preceded by a thought, right? Eating is not involuntary, Michelle. <laughs> you know, we, might like sometimes. Pretend, we might like to pretend that it is. But eating is not involuntary. Breathing is involuntary. <laughs> our heart beating is involuntary. But eating is completely within our ability to get a handle on. So, you know, become curious about why am I making this food decision? What am I getting out of this food decision? What is this doing for me? Really beginning to examine these decisions and choices. You know, why is there resistance to exercising? 
Why am I making these excuses for myself? All of this falls into the realm of CBT. And this is where we can make such a big impact using these tools. How was it when you were invited to go over to Europe and work with them? Did you find the same issues? Did you find anything different in, over in Europe? So I've been doing a program called 11 Weeks to Self-Esteem since 2003. And CBT has very wide application. Not only does it effectively help people with food issues and obesity, it also helps with depression, anxiety, self-esteem issues. And about two years ago, I had reached out to Dr. David Burns. He is really the guru of CBT. He's world-renowned and told him I had been using his 10 Days to Self-Esteem workbook and doing group after group after group for many years. And he actually contacted me and asked me if I wanted to do a podcast to talk about what my experience had been. And that, that really kind of blew me away, I have to confess, because he's been my mentor. He's been my teacher for my career. And that he wanted to hear about it was just, it blew me away. It's so flattering. I'm it, glad. It was amazing, Michelle. It really was. So I was able to share how I've been doing it for all these years. And that podcast got released off his website, which, by the way, is feelinggoodpodcast.com. Yes. And then I started hearing from people all over who were interested in it, who wanted to learn how to implement it, as well as wanting to be a part of it and learn from it. So I heard from a woman who she started a meetup group in Manchester, England, and she had wanted to have this program as a pillar of her wanting to empower women, women that perhaps had had some, you know, adverse life experiences who were dealing with depression and low self-esteem and anxiety. So she contacted me and asked me if I would help her. And I agreed to do that. And we've done several groups to date and it's just been amazing. And, you know, I wondered, are the issues with women in England going to be different than women here in the United States? And guess what I found? What? They're not any different. <laughs> so women are women. <laughs> women are women. And, you know, I, I think that in groups and in communities, women can help other women in ways that are just amazing. I think we empower each other when we reach out. We do. So it's been a lovely experience working with the, the Manchester Empowerment Women's Group. And it's, it's um, yeah, it's spreading. I feel like it's spreading the good news. Well, I feel it is. When I met you, I thought, I love the extension of what you've created because there's lots of things. Reach out and see what's going on. I'm going to make sure, Dawn, you give your website information and I will put it up on my website so that people can also have it. Sure. Yeah, I just want to add that, you know, Dr. Burns is, he's a numbers guy, okay? He, he really is of the opinion that if you can't demonstrate that it works, you really shouldn't be doing it. And so we measure depression and anxiety rates every single week. And oh, I- Interesting. Absolutely. And I, and I see a significant drop and people are just transformed by that program. It's, it's just amazing how much more resilient they become. They're better able to, you know, not go down the rabbit hole. Um, they know what to do and they learn these tools. So it's, it is incredibly empowering. 
And I think the world we live in today, honestly, there isn't anybody that couldn't benefit from this program. I'm glad to hear. I think it's oh important. I think the good thing that came out of the pandemic was that we found out that we can connect through Zoom if we can't get to each yeah. other. And I think that that really does help us in regards to checking in with each other weekly. If you're in a program, like an 11-week program, people do change. Yes, 11 weeks is enough to make change. Honestly, you know, right? We've heard a psychologist who was in Metro Collaborative and she was like, no, that's not long enough. Oh, yes, it is. It really is. If you're focused and you're working with somebody who's really good with CBT and taking you through the steps and the stages, it is absolutely doable. Now, after 11 weeks, you are continuing to use that information about yourself. That's right. It's very empowering. And that's what I really, that, that's what resonates with me as a therapist. You know, the idea is not to make people dependent on us and for it to just go on and on and on. But, you know, I think we can be a safe harbor and we can teach these skills and tools and empower people. And yes, they, they need practice and support. And that's where you can go into support groups. I know that in the um, Manchester Women's Program, they've developed these post 11 weeks, monthly, they call it an empowerment circle. Oh, wow. Where they're getting together and they're just practicing these tools and skills. And yeah. So I think, again, doing this in community, it decreases the isolation. You know, you quickly learn, I'm not the only one. And let me tell you, that is huge. Really important. It, I think we can get in our heads way too much and we begin to think that we must be the only one that thinks this way or does this behavior. And that's just not true. And it doesn't have to be that way. And the silver lining with COVID for my practice has been that I'm not limited to the four walls of my office to offer these programs. We can help people all over. And it's so cool that we're able to do that for bariatric patients, as well as people with other kinds of issues with CBT. I think it's great. I really do. I love that you yeah. came on and shared with me. Give them your website. I know there's, a, there's haiku for that. So what's yeah. the shorthand? So um, my practice website is www.tcc, the number four, and the word change.com. And that's short for the Counseling Center for Change. There you go. Yeah. And then my website that, that I, we just put this up, Michelle, like a couple Really? Another website that we just launched is called it's www.mbsweightloss.com. And that stands for Mind, Body, Spirit, Weight Loss. Nice. Very nice. And that's the collaboration with my business partner, who is a dietitian. That's so great. if you go to that, you'll see we're offering all kinds of groups for patients with you know, obesity and weight issues. We're doing a food addiction class in January. We're doing the Seven Habits of Highly Affected People. Oh, wow. You're as working with well, that book. It's a great book. As well as Atomic Habits. Oh, great. Yes. So we have lots of programs. It's worth taking a stroll through you guys because they really have created a great space for a lot of people. And as we said, you know, I wanted to introduce in chronic conditions, the obesity situation, because I think people feel so stigmatized and I don't want people to feel that way. I want people to understand there's many of us who are looking for a way out and up 
and to lift ourselves. And that may be through bariatric surgery. It may be through Weight Watchers. It may be talking things through a group for 11 weeks and learning about oneself to understand your relationship with food and how it plays into things. And, you know, fear of regaining. People get very, very, you know, nervous that they may regain. Well, that's the maintain part. And that's also a step. Yeah. And weight loss surgery is not going to fix any of these things that we've been talking about today. Um, no. It, it, no pills, no potions, no diets are going to fix this stuff. And that's where these programs can be so incredibly helpful. Well, it sounds like the doctors in the bariatric programs in, in Maryland and in Baltimore are reaching out to you. And that's a good sign for all of us, because as we see more groups happen, like I said, NYU Medical Center and New York Presbyterian, I know, has a big group. There's other hospitals, but check things out. Make sure that you're going to have the support you need. Mm-hmm. And Dawn is offering that. If this is something that's a conversation you've been having, or you've had bariatric surgery, and you're still feeling a little bit afloat, this is a perfect opportunity to hook yourself in with others like you who can talk things through and learn what's below the iceberg of obesity and what you're really dealing with that others are experiencing. Just like you. Yep, definitely. I just, just want to add to that, you know, be a lifelong learner. Oh, yes. Yes, that, yes, yes. So important for all of us. You know, we know so much more about bariatric surgery and the needs of bariatric patients than we did when I first started. That is for sure. And we know how to help and we know We've been living in the minds of bariatric patients pretty much, you know, for quite some time now. And with a lot of experience and research, you know, we really do. We know how to help. And but people have to take that step. You know, they they have to, you know, reach out, reach out, reach out and ask. Just take that first step and reach out and ask and see what can help you succeed. Yep. Absolutely. Well, it's been a pleasure. It really has. And I'm glad that you were able to come on and talk to us here at Radio 360. You are a learning curve 2.0. You definitely are the next generation because it's important. You know, we are all on a learning curve forever. Mm -hmm. And in wellness, it is a 2.0. We go to the next step, you know, and we really want to make sure that we're always learning. So when I have you on, I get to learn again or be reminded of what we talked about and what's important. And it stimulates me to say, let's pay attention to something that I may have been short cheating lately and say, you know what? You're coming up on holidays. How are you going to treat it? Mm-hmm. So that I have a nice holiday season. All of us, let me remind all of you out there chocolate will still be around. Pumpkin pie and pecan pie will still be around. Boost and well, and all of those things for Christmas will still be around. We don't have to overdo. We no. have to learn how to eat it mindfully, in control, and then there'll be another season and another season and another birthday and another celebration. So when we maintain and we learn how to enjoy those things and behave cognitively around something, we would enjoy them even more. Yeah. And and just to say one more thing, it's only one day. Thank you. It's just one day. 
Thanksgiving is one day. Christmas is one day. And keep that in perspective. Absolutely. I think that that's very important. Mm -hmm. So I wish you a happy Thanksgiving coming up and a Merry Christmas coming up. And we will see you next Sunday in the morning. Very good. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks for Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, Dawn. All righty. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.